Welcome to the 66th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, have our long-awaited talk about conference realignment in the NCAA, and the latest installment of random, assorted, important news from the world of sports. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, starting with the National League East. Patrick? In the National League East, we finally have a new division leader for the same, for I think the first time since May 18th, I believe is the number. We actually, honestly, we kind of waited to record this podcast so that we could see if there was going to be a new division leader tonight, and indeed that did happen. We now have the Philadelphia Phillies in the lead in the NL East at 57-53, and 53, fresh, up a, fresh off a four-game sweep of the Nationals. One of those games, they had four runs with two outs in the ninth inning to make the comeback, uh, and then now playing a game against the Mets to to take the lead over the Mets. Uh, the Mets, in second place, now behind by a half a game at 56-53, and 53, not playing too hot, lost three out of four against the Marlins after the Yankees came in and swept them, but we'll talk more about the Yankees later. But the Marlins were not playing well, and the Mets somehow found a way to lose to them. Uh, the Marlins had two errors in the top of the ninth inning, and the Mets only scored one run on it. Uh, and look, they are now they're now a half a game back. They had a huge lead. I think they were up by three and a half games last week when we when we did the podcast. They've lost two in a row now. They're three and seven in their last ten. The Phillies are seven and three in their last ten, including that six game winning streak. Uh, and by the way, the Atlanta Braves are fifty six and fifty four. They're a half game back of the Mets, too. So even if the Phillies hadn't been playing well, the Braves would have caught the Mets by now, even with Ronald Acuna out. Uh, they're only one game back of the Phillies, too, at four game with a four-game winning streak and also 7-3 and three in their last 10. So, yeah, those teams were separated by one game uh, beforehand, but it's just that the Mets have gone 3-7, and seven, and that's a four-game swing, and that's why you have the Phillies now in the lead by half a game, and then... Uh, you have the Braves one a half game behind the Mets and one behind the Phillies. Then you have the Nationals at 49 and 61, eight games back, and the Marlins at 47 and 62, nine and a half games back, which I actually think did improve from last week uh, somehow in, in in some kind of a miracle. Uh, but let's talk about some additions in this in this uh, division here. So the Phillies get the lead in this division, and how did they do it? Kyle Gibson, Ian Kennedy, Kyle Gibson, the starting pitcher. Ian Kennedy, the closer. What's the significance of that? They got them both in a trade from the Texas Rangers. So the Phillies really capitalizing at the deadline. Meanwhile, the Mets, Javi Baez, had a big home run in the first series against the Reds. Uh, in the first series, he was there, I should say, against the Reds. They got, I mean, but they only won one game out of that series. We talked about it on my predictions last weekend. And that game was just because of his, uh, I think, go-ahead home run. But then he left eight men on base on his own in a game against the Marlins, in a game that I talked about where they lost despite having, despite being gifted three hits, basically, or three base runners in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, they lost 4-2. to two. They, left, they had eight hits, eight walks, and yet only two runs in a game against the Marlins. Uh, and Javi Baez left eight guys on, on base on his own. Five strikeouts, the platinum sombrero, as they call it. Uh, <laughs> but as, I've never heard the, that term before. Well, yeah, because it never really happens. It, it, the golden sombrero was the four strikeouts, which actually happens quite often. 
Um, and then the platinum sombrero was, yeah, you get the fifth one to add on to it. Although I don't think anybody wants any more sombreros in baseball if that's what they are, if that's what they mean. <laughs> uh, but I mean, look, this is what you're going to get from Javi Bias. This is what we were talking about. This was the player who I said I didn't think he was going to be dealt from the Cubs because teams would just see him as kind of a high risk, high reward player. And if you're contending, you don't want that. You want consistency. You want Chris Bryant. You want Anthony Rizzo, and we'll talk about what they've been doing recently. Spoiler alert: a lot better than Baez. Uh, but look, this is what you're going to get from him. You're going to go. You're going to get a go-ahead home run. You're going to get some ridiculous defensive plays. He hit. He got a guy out on a relay uh, in that Red Series too. But then you're also going to get him striking out five times in the game. So there's a big trade-off that you can get there. But that's what the Mets signed up for, and so far. The Phillies easily won the deadline over the Mets. Yeah, and you mentioned that Phillies game with the uh, four runs in the ninth inning. Weren't there like five consecutive walks to aid in the scoring? That was the Braves. Oh, that's correct. Sorry. I was, but you spoiled that one. I was saving that for the Cardinals to talk about their misery. But yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into that well, in the we, NL Central. We we're talking about the Braves here. That's right. That's what that's what's part of the comment. All right. Well, then let's move on to the Central. We have the Milwaukee Brewers in first at sixty-five and forty-four. Six and a half games above Cincinnati at 59 and 51. Not playing too bad on their own, actually. They've won three in a row. They've, they've won eight of their last ten. Pretty good. But the Brewers have still won seven of their last ten. And when they have that lead, uh, I don't really know what the Reds are going to do. It's going to be hard to come back in that division. But they might actually get. They might actually be able to squeak out a wild card, depending on how long Tatis is out for San Diego. It could cause them to fall a lot. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, then you have St. Louis at 53 and 55. 11 and a half games back, four and six in their last 10, including a series loss to the Braves. I think that actually might have been a sweep. Uh, then you have the Cubs, 52 and 59, 14 games back, two and eight in their last 10. I was watching their game against the White Sox today and didn't recognize three of their players in their lineup, which just goes to show you really just how much they, they, they took off their roster because I'm not one to not recognize players unless you're literally talking about the worst teams in the league. And if they're not in the NL West and they don't play the Dodgers a ton, but yeah, I, I was very surprised that I, I saw that roster and I was like, uh, who and who and who? They're triple A um, it, it really is at this point. I, I know for a fact that they had a guy who was hitting ninth against or hitting eighth against the Dodgers in the series a month and a half ago when they were in that hot streak is now hitting fourth in their lineup, Alcantara. So look, <laughs> they have some issues to figure out. Uh, it, the Cubs aren't going to do anything this year. This is already over for them. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 41 and 69, even worse, 24 and a half games back, three and seven in their last 10, doesn't really matter. But let's get to the Cardinals as you were talking about. So yes, they did walk five straight guys in a four-run eighth inning That's right. to surrender a two-run lead to the Cardinal, to, to the Braves, sorry. Uh, but yeah, you were right. It was partially the NL East, but it wasn't against the it wasn't the it wasn't the Phillies against the Nationals. It was the Braves against it was the, the Cardinals. Game that enabled the Braves to get uh, above five hundred within half a game. Of yes, first place. exactly. Uh, although not, I don't think it was quite within half a game yet because the Phillies still had to win this game. But it, it, <laughs> I don't know how you walk twenty six batters with the bases loaded in a season, and it's not even close to being over. But that is the number that the Cardinals are at right now, easily the most in the league. 26 walks with the bases loaded. That's 26 free runs that you've gifted to other teams. Their run differential, minus 49. So take that out, you're minus 23. Half of your run, half of your run differential is bases loaded free walks. Like, 
It, what are you going to do? How are you going to be good doing that? You know, this is this is funny. A lot of people have talked about the impact of the rule change where you have to face three batters. Part of this is you got you get a reliever in. You know, it was done to stop this constant pitching changes and swapping and matchups. But what it's done is a reliever who comes in who doesn't have control, you have you can't pull an emergency break. You got to sit there and watch in pain until he walks three people in a row. Yeah, but the problem was, as we know, the Cardinals have basically two arms that they like to just throw into the fire, and they always figure it out. Uh, Reyes and Gallegos. Those were the two guys who were giving up the runs. Actually, uh, Gallegos got taken out of the game in favor of Reyes, their closer, and Reyes walked three more guys after Gallegos had already walked people, and then after that, they had to bring in another guy who I think. I think he actually hit somebody and then gave up some more hits. But anyway, yeah, the Cardinals are not are not doing too well right now. But look, credit to the Brewers. They made some good moves. Eduardo Escobar has not been special for them, but he hasn't been bad for them. He's been very good. Uh, he's played first base. He's played third base. I think he's played second base too. So giving them some versatility, which is very, very important. Uh, and, he, and also he's a switch hitter, so they don't have to really platoon him that much. And gives them some much-needed help because in their lineup because, look, their pitching staff is amazing. They don't need any help there. What they need is a healthy Christian Yelich who's hitting like he did when he was an MVP. And they need a few other guys who can produce outside of Yelich. And all of a sudden, you could be looking at the Brewers in the World Series, and I'm serious about that. All right, well, let's maybe move to the West and talk about a couple other teams we think uh, have a chance to make the World Series. Absolutely. There are two or three teams here who could be in major, who are easily in contention, maybe not the third team at, at this point. But the San Francisco Giants still in first, 69-40. and 40. Uh, They are four games out of the Dodgers at 65-44 and 44 after the Dodgers. I, I think actually the game discrepancy is made up now. Finally, the game discrepancy so, is made up. But actually, ironically, it didn't help the Dodgers at all. San Francisco quote-unquote, won the extra two games uh, and then pushed that lead from three games to four games, even though the Dodgers actually technically, I guess, stayed even in in losses with them in the last week. But overall, you're going to get the Giants in first place up by four on the Dodgers. Uh, that includes a four a four nothing comeback, down 4 nothing in the ninth inning against the Diamondbacks on the road. Uh, as I said to a friend, Diamondbacks going to Diamondbacks. They... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they just can't find a way to win games. This is just a problem for them, uh, obviously, evidenced by their worst record in the league, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but they can't win games. And look, the Giants' acquisition, Chris Bryant, he hit a home run in their game to win to, to win the second game of the series against the Astros. It wasn't a game-winning home run or anything, but it was their first run of the day after being down 2 nothing in the first inning. Then he hits the game-winning RBI in this game in extra innings and wins it 5-4 for them. So look... That acquisition has paid off immensely already for the Giants. He's had great return on that trade, uh, and they really only had to give up prospects for him. And at this point, the Giants have arrived a little bit early, and I don't think they need prospects at this point because they arrived early and didn't give up a lot of major prospects. They have a lot of them from past deals of them being sellers. So look, they have a good farm system, and their current roster has the best record in baseball. They're set up very, very well to be good for a very long time. Then you have the Dodgers, who finally get Max Scherzer, uh, starting, which takes out a bullpen game that they were having regularly, and he was excellent in his debut against Houston. Uh, seven innings pitched, ten strikeouts, only two earned runs given up. Got a curtain call at the end, which was something that he said he never experienced before in his career, which is crazy to me because he's been pitching for what twelve years now. So it's crazy that Arizona, Detroit, and Washington never gave him that. But you know what? I'll, I'm happy that the Dodgers <laughs> that the Dodgers fans finally did. Uh, it was a great moment. And now, 
The Dodgers finally get Trey Turner activated off the COVID IL today, but as is the story with the Dodgers all season, they can't catch a break. Guess what? Now they, with the news of Trey Turner, they also get the news that to clear up the roster spot, uh, Victor Gonzalez went on the IL with, with knee inflammation, and Jimmy Nelson is now out for the season uh, after having season-ending surgery, So, and he was an important piece for the bullpen. Uh, Victor Gonzalez is a bit, well, was a high-leverage piece last year, although has been in a little bit of a funk this year. So look, the Dodgers can't even get good news without some bad news at this point. Maybe Danny Duffy gets called up without, or get, gets called off the IL without somebody getting sent back down. And they did sign Cole Hamels this week too. So look, I don't know what I don't I don't know who's going to be pitching come playoff time, but the Dodgers do have nine starting pitchers that they want to use them. Yeah, Kershaw's returns a, a bit delayed, and Duffy I don't think is coming back in. Uh, until August, he's got to go to a modified spring training to build up his his arm. Uh, yeah, and Kershaw's like not coming back until September. But so they'll have a, a lot of hopefully fresh arms, a lot of left-handed ones with Ham- Hamels being added. I think Hamels is a interim slash insurance policy if uh, Duffy and Kershaw don't. But a very veteran, experienced arm who was I mean he was a value he was a valued commodity last year. It's just that ERA he pitched three. Really low. It's just he pitched three innings and then had what like three different injuries that he had to deal with. So. Uh, he didn't really pitch last year at all. Speaking of injuries, should we go to the Padres? Yeah, the Padres, seven and a half games back of the Giants now, 62-48. and 48. Fernando Tatis on the IL, although he thinks he's returning very, very soon. And in fact, he actually was taking fly balls in center field today and robbed a home run. Uh, so, uh, look, I don't know what he's doing because I don't know why anybody would be trying to rob home runs with a dislocated shoulder. Just ask Cody Bellinger. It's not a good idea, even Especially with a regularly located shoulder. Uh, but I guess his his idea is to return from the aisle immediately, although a lot of people have been cautioning that the reason why he's had three partial dislocations is because he's not getting the surgery for it, and the surgery would be season-ending. But the reality is, until you get that surgery, it, it, what a lot of former major leaguers have been saying is that if you never get the surgery, it's just going to keep happening and happening and happening. And I think the three, I think the three IL since this year just proved that. So it'll be a tough road for the Padres. Uh, as I talked about, Cincinnati's even getting close to catching them. They could really. I'm not very worried about it because their 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 schedule in the next few weeks is really really easy. Frankly, uh, meanwhile the Giants and the Dodgers have are playing a lot of teams out of the NL East. Uh, so it, it could go a lot of ways for the Padres if they struggle against bad teams. And then they have to play the Dodgers and the Giants a lot in September. They're not going to make up the games. But if they're able to just run through their easy schedule right now, they could make it back into the race and then make those games mean something. But I don't know if they're going to do that with those injuries. Their pitching staff hasn't been great. They didn't address that at the deadline. But that's all for the Padres right now. I'm not too worried about them missing the playoffs, to be quite honest. It it would take the Reds going on. It, It would take basically every Reds hitter playing like Jonathan India and Joey Votto for the entire rest of the season, just completely on fire if they were ever going to get anywhere close to the Padres, including their pitching staff. The Reds' yeah, pitching staff is right do better. The, the, the Reds are three games back in the wild card from San Diego. And that three games back is not going to be very easy to close. Yeah. So moving on from the Padres, you have the Rockies in fourth at 48-61, and 61, 21 games back, and then the Diamondbacks at 34-76. and 76, Still the worst record in baseball. Uh, 35 and a half games back, no chance of doing anything. As I said, they choked two games against the Giants. I actually didn't mention the second one, but they also had another lead that then got taken to extra innings. So, yeah, the, the, the Diamondbacks have a lot of issues. We, we know that. We eliminated from playoff com, uh, conversation, your com, uh, competition or whatever, uh, 
several podcasts ago. Maybe we just eliminate him from the podcast in the future. That's up to you. It's possible. Right. It's very so possible. But I, I will say, if there's any if there's any candidate for eliminated from podcast talk, it would probably be the team that we're going to get to in the bottom of the division that we're about to talk about, because you do need to mention the worst record in the league, but maybe not the second worst. All right, well, let's move over to the American League East and reveal that mystery team. We have the Tampa Bay Rays in first at 65-44. and 44. I did mention that they became that they got a game and a half above the Red Sox with their series sweep last weekend. Uh, that lead has maintained. They're now two games up on the Red Sox. But the Red Sox are 2-8 and eight in their last 10. So you would really hope that the Rays, if you're a Rays fan, you'd really hope they extended that lead, but they didn't. And that is something dangerous. It reminds me a lot of the Mets lead that they had for most of the season. And by the way, down from nine and a half games back and 10 games back, the Yankees at 59 and 49 are five and a half back. And the Blue Jays are six games back at 58 and 49. They're four games back at Boston right now. They're also playing Boston right now and they just beat them. And they have three games left in the series in this weekend. So, and by the way, Blue Jays, Yankees, 8-2 and two in their last 10, both of them. Yankees have won three in a row. Blue Jays have won four in a row. Uh, the Blue Jays still have the best run differential in this, in this division. So that could just go to show you, look, the Blue Jays might be coming. Like, they might, they might, be, they might be ready for this year. That Jose Barrios deal might not, might not just be a, we're really going to contend next year. This might be an actual, this guy's going to help us this year and we're going to go next year, too. Uh, it could be really, really dangerous. And look, this wild card race is getting really, really tight in the AL right now, especially because of some things that happened with the A's, but we'll talk about that later. But let's talk about the Yankees for a little bit. Gallo got his signature moment with the Yankees. He got a go-ahead three-run home run. Barely. Uh, yeah, barely a Yankee Stadium home run, exactly. I should say. First row Yankee Stadium pop fly home run. But at the same time, it is his first home run as a member of the Yankees, which is very, very important. Uh, and then you have Rizzo, who who had two home runs in the first two games of his Yankees, uh, Yankee, not his Yankees career, but his stint on the Yankees, which led them to a series sweep of the Marlins. And that was when I started to get the sense that the Yankees were really maybe turning the corner. And it looks like the and it looks like it was just as simple as. Hey, how about instead of getting Tim Lo Castro, getting some more pitching, just get some left-handed bats because you have none of them. And all of a sudden, it adds depth to their lineup, and here they are. And look, they are playing very, very well right now. So credit to the Yankees for making some great moves there. All right, let's uh, move over to the AL Central. In the AL Central, we have the Chicago White Sox at the top of the division, nine and a half games ahead of the Cleveland Indians, even though they're only five and five in their last ten. Uh, the Cleveland Indians are at 53 and 44, as I said, nine and a half games back. The Tigers, 12 games back at 53 and 59, six and four in their last 10, including actually a series win over the Red Sox, which was a big blow for the Red Sox, which I forgot to mention before. Uh, then you have the Royals, 15 and a half back at 47 and 60, and the Twins, 46 and 63, 17 and a half games back. Let's be honest, there's not much to talk about in this division, and it's going to be like that for the rest of the year, so. This might be a literal 30-second division all the time. But for now, there's something to talk about because I mentioned that the White Sox might have the best bullpen in the, the entire league at this point. And uh, look, Craig Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks, Liam Hendricks an all-star closer, Craig Kimbrell, all-star closer. What, what do you do? What do you do when you have that coming in the eighth inning? One of them is coming in the eighth inning. An all-star closer will be pitching against your team in the eighth inning, what are you going to do about it? Get a lot more runs in the first seven innings. 
But then you have Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon throwing against you, and also G- Lucas Giolito, who was not great at the beginning of the year, but has really rounded into form. And then you also have Dylan Cease, who throws 100. And look, their starting pitching is nothing to joke about either. This White Sox team is starting to get even scarier, but their offense is kind of stalled. Even though they get Eloy Jimenez back, Brian Goodwin had a walk-off home run earlier this week and added in a walk-off, not a walk-off, but a go-ahead two-run home run in the top of the 10th today against Chicago. That's funny, I said against Chicago. Against the Cubs. Sorry, I forgot that I'm talking about two Chicago teams. Uh, So look, they have some guys that they're really relying on right now that you wouldn't expect to be major producers, and they might have to fix that before the end of the season if they want to get a lot better. But, uh, you know, you can count on Jose Abreu. You can count on Tim Anderson hitting for average. You can count on Eloy Jimenez when he's fully healthy. You really want to get Louis Robert back. That would be a really important add. A, a di- I mean, it's not really an addition because he's already on the team, but it would be important. Yasmani Grandal is out right now, so they're playing a rookie at catcher, and they're actually on their fourth catcher of the year right now. So they have a lot of issues that they need to figure out, but at the same time, that bullpen and that pitching staff is scary because Lance Lynn went scoreless today for six innings and then gave up one run, and that inherited runner was scored. Craig Kimbrell gave up four hits in one outing for the second time in his entire career, and the White Sox still won the game. So, I mean, he has a, he has his second, wor- second worst or worst outing in his career in a Hall of Fame career already in 13 seasons of relief of relief work as the top guy in four, teams di- four different teams' bullpen, and they still win? I mean, look, what, what are you going to do? There's really nothing that you can do against that. So I, I don't know. I, again, I don't know how they're going to figure this out. I, I don't know how other teams are going to figure them out, I should say. But they're going to need to the, – the, the White Sox need to find some offense, and then the teams playing against them need to find a way to generate offense against them so that the White Sox can't keep getting away with scoring two runs in a game and winning the game anyway. Yeah, I think the future conversation about the White Sox is, is not about this division. It's about the overall best record uh, in the American League, which they are – Two games, one and a half games behind. Uh, and one of those teams they're one and a half games behind leads the National League, the American League West, so let's go over there. In the AL West, we have the Houston Astros at the top of the division, 65-44. and 44. They are four games ahead of the Oakland A's at 61-48, and 48, although the A's got some pretty bad news today, which we'll talk about later. Uh, the Mariners are seven and a half back at 58-52. and 52. Then you have the Angels at 55 and 54 playing playing against the Dodgers this weekend. They are 10 games back. The Rangers are 39 and 70, 26 games back, not worth mentioning anymore. Uh, the A's lose Ramon Laureano for the rest of the season. He suspended 80 games for PED use. So sorry, A's, but I don't I think this divisional race is pretty much over. I think the four games to make up if you had your full roster and you got those trades in. It's possible, but at this point, I, I don't know. I feel like without Ramon Laureano, they're missing a lot. It's just a big, it's just a big mental blow for now. And then once they get past it, it'll just be a big production blow in terms of offense and also on the defensive end with his speed in the outfield. Uh, although they did get Sterling Marte to partially fill that void. Well, that's not why they got him, but he he will now fill that role. So. We'll see. We'll have to see what happens there. But uh, also, the Mariners playing a pretty pivotal series against the Yankees this weekend. So, some a series that could really decide a lot in terms of the wild card race for the rest of the year. 
Yeah, Yankees, what, one and a half games back of the A's for that second wild card, and Seattle a few games behind the Yankees. So that'll be pivotal series. And good, good news for the Mar- That suspension is good news for the Mariners. And the Yankees, the Yankees and the Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays, exactly. That wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. Let's turn our attention to some college sports. Um, where the rumors about, then the ultimate confirmation of those rumors, of the future defection of Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12 Conference to the SEC have spurred a lot of speculation about future conference realignment in the NCAA uh, and its impact on a whole variety of things. So let's uh, take a look at what the, the impact might be directly and maybe some ripple effects of this. Patrick, let's start. Uh, what does this mean for Texas and Oklahoma in terms of football? It means that Texas now goes from a 20% chance to win a conference championship every year to a 2% chance of winning a conference championship every year. Good luck beating Alabama to win a conference when you can't beat Oklahoma to do it, even though you face them every single year. Uh, Look, Texas has been long underachieving, uh, and I think... We t- everybody talks about that a lot because they, I mean, they have like, what, one, one 10 win season in the last six or seven years, even though they've been ranked in the top 10 numerous times in that span to start the season, even in the middle of the season after a few games. They beat Oklahoma in the regular season once, then lost, then got demolished in the Big 12 championship by them. So Texas has got to figure it out. I'm honestly not too worried about Oklahoma winning games in the SEC, although I, d- I do think this drastically limits their uh, playoff chances because I believe just geographically you probably end up with them in the SEC West, right? Which is where Alabama is. And I mean, good luck going through Oklahoma, good luck for Oklahoma going through Alabama and Texas A&M every year to try to get even to the conference championship game in the SEC and then winning the conference over whoever comes out of the other division out of Florida, Georgia, and probably some other teams that might even move over because of this realignment. So It'll be interesting for its for its impact on football. I definitely think it negatively impacts Texas because I think this gives them an even low, worse chance of winning. There aren't the bottom teams in the Big Twelve: Kansas, uh, Iowa State. A few years ago, now you're looking at teams like maybe TCU, West Virginia, though Baylor. You, the bottom teams in the SEC are not that bad. Like no offense to those teams in the Big Twelve, they're okay teams, but. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, they, they bring a lot more. Okay, look, Ole Miss might give up 60 points a game, but they're still going to be able to score 55 on you. They're, they're a lot more, yeah, they're volatile. Like, they can do a lot of different things, and for whether for, for better or for worse, but I don't know what Texas is going to do. I don't think that, it's, that this is going to positively affect them in football other than revenue. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. You talked about uh, being in the same division as Alabama. We don't, we don't know if that's going to be the case. It may be that you would think they'd want to preserve Texas and Oklahoma would want to preserve their rivalry and make sure they play every year. Well, and the other thing is geographically, though, it is it is organized by West and East, and then you have those two teams coming from the West, the, West, the so, westernmost teams in the conference at that point. So, so. maybe this is a chance to examine uh, the, the divisions in the SEC and even it out a bit, keep some traditional rivalries alive. I think you will have Texas and Texas A&M in the same division. So I, I think... If you look at the division, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, they're going to move the two Mississippi State, the two Mississippi teams into the east and then move Texas and Oklahoma straight into the west. You have the same amount of te- although I guess that would make it unbalanced numbers, I think. So, who knows? But we'll see what we'll see what they do. I think there's no way Texas and Oklahoma aren't in the SEC West though, which would mean that they're in it with Alabama unless they move Alabama, which would be very weird. 
So what, what's, we talked about football. What do we think about the impact on other sports? Well, I think mainly in basketball and also in baseball, you see the SEC adding more quality to an already pretty good league, especially in baseball. I mean, they have the last two national championships now between Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. So I don't think they're worried about how it affects them in baseball because, by the way, Texas was also in the College World Series. Uh, Oklahoma won the Women's Softball World Championship this year. So they're going to get a lot of good teams in other sports, other more, I guess, periphery sports, you could say. Uh, And in basketball, it really makes the SEC a good, good, good conference in basketball. And it really makes the Big 12... Kansas it ta- and nobody else. It takes it well in Baylor. It takes. I mean, you just you forgot ju- the defending national yeah the national championships really. Yeah, um, but I mean, Texas and Oklahoma really were going to make the Big Twelve along with Kansas. And look, you got Kansas, the traditional program, and Baylor, the one who's up and coming and winning national championships now. When you had those two teams plus Texas and Oklahoma, who have a lot of resources to be that good and a lot of talent in that area. That would have made a really good conference in the future, and now you have those two teams leaving. I don't know what Kansas and Baylor are going to do about it, but it, it really could be damaging for the Big 12. And, and uh, look, that basketball conference in the SEC now, having Kentucky, Texas, and Oklahoma, Texas and Oklahoma are not on Kentucky's level, don't get me wrong, but those are two important additions that make the SEC actually feel like a competitive basketball conference and not just Kentucky, Tennessee, Name your other random team that's good for one year here and there, whether it be Alabama, Florida. Auburn, Florida. Somebody's always randomly good other than those two teams, but I think now you can actually add some more consistency into the, into the mix in the SEC. All right, well, you touched a little bit on uh, what it meant for the Big 12. Uh, let's, let's delve into that a little bit. We've talked about the impact on Texas and Oklahoma. What does this uh, mean for the rest of the schools in the Big 12? Well, uh, I don't think you can have a conference with six teams. I already think that eight is too small and is a very odd size, and they can't really do much with it. When you're talking about six teams, that is a, that conference is way too small. It's not a conference anymore. It's a division of a conference. Uh, so every, I mean, I, I think you probably look at the dissolve the Big Ten, the Big Twelve just dissolving entirely. I don't well, think there's any way you could keep it alive. Yeah, I think they're realizing they need to either merge or add teams. They've declined. They declined adding some teams in the past. Houston, etc. Uh, there were rumors, which were then confirmed, um, that uh, the Big Twelve had talked with the Pac-12 about a possible merger. Well, the Pac-12 is the smallest out of the Power Five conferences, I believe. So I think that would make actually a lot of sense. The Big Ten has fourteen. The ACC has 14. The SEC will now have 16. So, yeah, I mean, you got to get the merger with the one that has 12, I guess, and that conference would then have 18 teams, which is still huge. Uh, but I think something else that is interesting, yeah, you talked about Houston. Ask SMU, ask Houston. If you could get those two teams in, now you have an actual conference of eight again, and then maybe you find some other teams. Uh, we know that BYU wants to not be in a conference at all, so that probably stays the same. But if you can't get SMU in Houston, and if you or if you don't want to because you don't believe they contribute that much, you're going to have to go to other places. You're going to have to have Iowa State and maybe Kansas move to the Big Ten. You're going to have TCU and maybe some other of those teams go to the Pac-12, maybe even the Mountain West, back to the Mountain West for TCU. It's very possible. Uh, so they're going to have to move. I don't know where they're going to move, but... They're really, I mean, they're really, they're like an animal in the wild that just does not have a home right now. They just had, those six teams are all on, pretty much on their own because I think the Big 12 is still going to stand firm for the next four years, just pretending that they're still strong and that 
they can deal with this and they have the resources to, even though we all know that that's a facade and you can't have a conference with just six teams in it. Yeah, I think Imagine a five-game conference schedule in football. I think you hit the nail on the head. They're going to put on a happy face for a little bit while really panicking behind the scenes and trying to figure out the Making behind-the-scenes calls. Yeah, And you just hope that they aren't silly and don't, uh, for the sake of their conference members, they don't uh, try to push too hard because they really don't have a lot of leverage. That I think that the wise choice for them is, is not to stand pat and wait and see what other people do. They need to make their best move as soon as possible. However, I will say that if you if you get rid of the Big 12, maybe if one of the teams joins the American Athletic Conference, the AAC as I like to call it, maybe you could maybe you still call it the Power 5 cuz I don't think Yeah, it's just a different member. I don't think I have a problem with it. I mean, I've already said a lot of times in the past to you before we really had this podcast, the American has been better than the Pac-12 in football for a few years now. So it's really possible that they could call... I mean, they they like to identify as the Power Six. They call themselves the Sixth and the Power Six. I think they can make the claim. UCF has been better than than uh, than Pac-12 teams in, in a lot of different years. Uh, Cincinnati now competing with Georgia in a bowl game. I haven't seen Washington do that. Washington got killed in the playoff when they were there. Uh, Oregon got killed by Iowa State last year, and that's what, the second place team in the Big 12? So look, you could really have the AAC make a push to say, look, let's keep the Power 5 thing alive. We'll take some of the teams from the Big 12 to add us some more brand names. And now you've got a good conference. I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, there's going to be a ripple effect here that we, we it's very hard to predict, but could one little domino could cause all kinds of things to go in a different direction. I guess the only sport that really isn't worried about it right now is hockey. So, um, <laughs> because the Big 12 and the SEC don't play that sport. Um, although there are a few, there is a Pac-12 school that does in the Big 10, but that's a totally different topic. Arizona State? Arizona State. Uh, associated with the Big 10, as is Notre Dame. In any event, I think we've uh, beat this subject to death and it's time to move to our next topic, which is random, assorted, important news in the world of sports. Patrick, take it from here. All right, so we probably totaled about a billion dollars in money that was given out in contract money in the NBA last weekend uh, when we were talking about free agency. Well, let's talk about one guy who gets to a quarter of a million on his own. Josh Allen signs a six-year, $258 million deal, according to Adam Schefter. Uh, All of his scoring to Adam Schefter, I should say. $150 million of that deal is guaranteed, which actually surpasses Patrick Mahomes' At $141.5 million, which, by the way, is still a lot of money, um, for the most guaranteed money in an NFL contract of all time, $43 million per year that he is getting is only second to Patrick Mahomes at $45 million per year. A huge contract for a quarterback who, frankly, after last year, I think he's deserving of it. And I think that if the Bills didn't show that they believed in him, they'd be making a big mistake and you'd be getting a Deshaun Watson situation in a few years. So I, I like that they're dealing with this now. Uh, even if the calls happen at 3.45 a.m. But, uh, yeah, look, I like the decision. Uh, you want to lock up your franchise quarterback, and this is what they're doing. Interesting little side note here. The Bills earlier in the week made uh, an announcement that they're looking for a publicly financed brand-new stadium. And I'm wondering if this wasn't as partly driven by, okay, we're going we're gonna to ask for this big ask, and then we're going to show our commitment to the franchise. i got to believe that the two... Uh, were not coincidentally announced around the same period of time. All right, well, let's move on to uh, a little bit of a baseball note. Well, I skipped over it. I skipped over the reason why the Blue Jays went 8-2, and two, but the reason is home sweet home. That is why they went 8-2 uh, and two in the last 10 games. The Blue Jays returned home to Toronto on July 30th. 
the, uh, I guess the Toronto slash Buffalo slash Dunedin, Florida Blue Jays are finally actually just the Toronto Blue Jays for the first time in, I believe it was 730 days, I think was the number, or 670, something like that. They have a max capacity of 15,000 in their stadium, including the staff, though, so the attendance is topping out at around 13,500, depending on the day changes, fluctuates a little bit, but they have been selling out that number. Uh, they're 7-1 in their first in their first homestand so far at home, but it's not like they're playing nobodies. I mean, okay, maybe the Royals are, but still, they swept the Royals last weekend. They took three out of four from Cleveland this week and now have rolled that into game one uh, of a series against the Red Sox, which is a very, very, very important series in terms of the overall standings, uh, not only just for the wild card, but for the AL East. They have really taken momentum from home, and they're using it well, and their fans are there for it, and their fans are enjoying it, and so are the players. Uh, They look like they're having a lot of fun back at home. So good for the Blue Jays. Very happy that they finally get to play at home. Happy that it's also in front of fans. And happy that there's no more Buffalo Blue Jays. All right, well, let's move to your last note from the world of soccer. All right, so this one I will glance over very quickly, but I will talk about the larger impact of it. Lionel Messi will be leaving FC Barcelona. All reports lead to him going to PSG for a three-year deal. But I'd just like to say, it's crazy to see an international legend of this caliber and this level of fame, who was so synonymous for one team with his entire career in general, but then for that guy to pack up and leave this late in his career... It, it's just, it'll take some getting used to, uh, but I'm sure you'll adjust quickly because you don't want soccer anyway. Yeah, just another reason to hate soccer. He and his team agree to financial terms, but the league rules preclude a legend from staying with his team. Like, pay a luxury tax. I mean, it, it just makes no sense. What the hell are these all right, rules? All right, all right, all right, all right, kicks. all right. Well, I mean, you don't, I mean, there's probably reasons for it that you would understand, by the way. Ask any MLB fan that's not a Dodgers fan, and they will tell you how much they complain about the Dodgers and the Yankees on a daily basis having $300 million payrolls when their teams can only afford to pay $50 million because the Rays can only get 8000 people in their stadium. My understanding is they're willing to pay the money. They're not allowed to pay the money because of some kind of league rules. It's just... Yes, but I believe that in the same way, I bet you the... the, the I bet you that the Rays fans would say, can the Dodgers not be able to sign Trevor Bauer because uh, they're getting too good and that's a little too much money to be to be handing out. I, I, I just love this because it's just more evidence of why soccer is just ridiculous. <laughs> All right, well, I think we're done with... Well, the, the goal of saying this was not for you to hate on soccer, but okay. Yeah, well, every chance I get, I'll take it. And I think that wraps up the latest installment of random assorted important news from the world of sports. It also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. So please join us... For our next podcast, which will be on Monday, August 9th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, discuss further developments in NBA free agency, and have a look back at the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Summer Games, which were being played in 2021. Uh, In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB power rankings on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.